The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that we, that, sorry, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the word, the world, and became an heir of the righteous that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that was foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore." These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for these words. We thank you that in ways that you showed up to the people that we just read, Lord, I pray, God, today that you will open up our hearts and open up our minds, that you may allow things to challenge us, allow your words to challenge us, challenge our faith, our faith in you. Holy Spirit, help us to be faithful in your words, in the things that you have done in our lives, in the things that you will do for our future. We trust you and we hold on to your word and your truth. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, A. All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. If you've got your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 13. And and if you're just joining us this morning, welcome. My name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. Uh, This morning, we're going to be continuing in our series, the book of Hebrews. And we've started the summer just going chapter by chapter through the book of Hebrews, seeing what we could learn because we started out the year in the book of Genesis. And so there's a lot that we can learn from the book of Hebrews because it talks about 
a lot of the people that we see in the book of Genesis. So um, today, our message is on this, building a life upon Jesus, building a life upon Jesus. Um, Over the summer, as we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, um, we've seen again and again how the writer, who we don't know who the writer is, continues to point to Jesus and say that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. These were Hebrew people who'd put their faith in the teachings of, of Moses and looked at the life of Abraham, who we see today pictured in this text. But what were they putting their faith in? What was it that we see time and time again, the people of faith putting their faith in? Well, this is one of the most famous chapters that we would see in all of the New Testament. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And again, the theme of this is faith. You see it throughout. By faith. By faith. By faith. What is it that makes Christianity distinct? Faith. And so, what is faith? And what type of faith is the author telling us that these people before us had. And that's inviting us into today. Well, John Lennox, a professor of mathematics at Oxford University, argues that everyone has faith in something, even atheists. Lennox notes that the word faith isn't just a religious word. It comes from the Latin word fides, which means trust or reliance. Trust or reliance. And so what is it that we put our faith in? What is it that we trust and we rely on? Well, in 2018, Pew Research put out an article entitled, When Americans Say They Believe in God, What Do They Mean? It says 9 in 10 Americans believe in a higher power. But listen to this. It says only a slim majority believe in God as described in the Bible. So we're talking today about faith, trust, reliance. What is it that we are putting our faith in? See, the question is not whether or not we have faith, but where are we placing our faith? Is it in God? Is it in the God of the Bible? Or is it in something else? Because what we place our faith in is what we're building our life upon. Let me say that again. What we are placing our faith in is what we're building our life upon. You see, Jesus says in Matthew 7, uh, 24 through 27, this. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, Jesus is saying, by faith, everyone is building. And you'll put your faith on something. He says today, will you put your faith on the rock or will you put your faith on the sand? See, because at some point, the rain, the floods, the winds, it's not if they're going to come, it's when are they going to come. Because it's going to come for all of us. But at those moments, it's going to reveal what our faith is really built upon. And so by faith, what are you building your life upon? For some of us today, it could be our work, our job, or career. 
Because some of us, we might say to ourselves, well, I'm just a harder worker than everyone else, and so I'm going to build my life upon my career, and here's what my life is about. Could be on our education, our intellect, and I'm just smarter, and so I'm just gaining more knowledge, and that's what I'm going to build my life upon, and I want people to see me as a really brilliant individual. Could be our beauty, just more stylish, just better looking, and we just build our life upon that. Our talents, we're just more talented, success, achievement, and so it's just based on my success, and that is what my life is about. Timothy Keller says it well when he says, if you build your life on your beauty, your beauty is going to fade. If you build your life on people who love you, they're going to die. If you build your life on achievement and power, your records will be eclipsed. People who build their lives on power, comfort, success, and recognition will find their full stomachs turning into cosmic emptiness. You see, today, what are we building our life upon? Because it will be revealed at some point. And so our text today is Hebrews 11, 1 through 13. And again, here's the setting of the book of Hebrews. It's this letter written to city-dwelling Jewish Christians. And they were under immense amounts of persecution for their faith, for believing in Jesus. And so they were surrounded with all these different belief systems, but they were also being pressured to fall back into the old ways that they would do their religion and their way of doing things instead of putting their faith in Jesus. And so they're saying, minimize that Jesus, go back to your traditions and the way you did things before. And so the author, again, is just pleading with the people, pointing them to build their life upon a faith in Jesus Christ. And so what does the writer tell us? Well, when it comes to faith, we must see that he's telling us three things. Number one, test our foundation. Number two, See real examples. And number three, trust the builder. Test our foundation. See real examples. Trust the builder. So the first one is this. Test our foundation. Look at verses one through three. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So he starts first, the writer starts with this working definition of faith in God. What what does a faith in God look like? Well, he says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So when we see the word hope, what we think in many ways for us that, that like hope is like, I hope this thing happens. But when he talks about faith, he's talking about something that's sure, an assurance of something that's hoped for. So it's not like if it's going to happen, but it is going to happen. He says the conviction of things not seen. Now this word in particular for assurance is a noun that was uh, used to communicate the idea of substance, firmness, confidence, a collection of documents establishing ownership, a guarantee, a proof. Old translations uh, say that faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Now, why is this important? Well, some of us may have grown up in homes or churches where you've been told, don't ask questions, just have faith. If you have doubts, you, you just have to have a little bit more faith. What's wrong with your faith? But I need to say today that that is not a biblical approach. To faith. 
See, what we see throughout the scriptures is that our faith is really an educated, attested faith built on historical evidence. A faith that is growing as we ask questions and learn more about who God is. Because what it says here is that it is an assurance. There's an evidence to this. See, there's this misconception that faith is just this blind faith where you're just kind of walking out there and you say, check your mind at the door. I shouldn't be thinking on these things, but really, it's based on evidence that we must decide upon to say, is this true? As we ask questions, is God big enough to answer those questions? In 2014, Eric Metaxas wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal called Science Increasingly Makes the Case for God. Here's what he says. In 1966, Time Magazine ran a cover story asking, is God dead? Many have accepted the cultural narrative that he's obsolete That as science progresses, there is less need for a God to explain the universe. Yet it turns out that the rumors of God's death were premature. More amazing is that the relatively recent case for his existence comes from a surprising place, science itself. And so as he talks through the article, he he talks about different ways in which science isn't opposed to God, but really validates God. But as a rebuttal to that, in 2015, um, January 2015, the New Yorker published something that was written by Lawrence Krauss that was entitled this. He says, no, astrobiology has not made the case for God. And he writes, this is old news, talking about Metaxas. He specifically targets this article. He says, that's old news. While it's an interesting fact, it certainly does not require a deity. And so today... As we study, as we look at evidence, we have to make a decision because does something mean that it's not true if somebody has a rebuttal to it? Does everything that Eric Metaxas says in saying, hey, I believe that these things point to a God that's real, that's living, that's active, does that mean that it's, it's wrong because Lawrence Krauss says that there's a, I don't believe that? Right, for some of us today, when we look at our faith, is it, solid is it our foundation because at some point it will be questioned but what do you believe see what's the goal of real faith so you've settled in your own heart that yes it's true god in fact is real and i do believe that he created the universe which look at verse three that's what it says specifically that the universe was created by the word of God? I believe it. I've studied, I've asked the questions, I've wrestled deeply, and yes, I believe. See, the first set of verses help us to think through our foundation. And if it's solid. And do I believe that God is who he says he is? It says you come to a settled conviction about this. Secondly, we see real examples. See, it's not just that today we we stand on these things to be true, but we see examples throughout history who believe the same thing. Starting in verse 8, going to verse, uh, starting in verse 4, going through verse 8, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting as gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch who was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. See, as a church... We started this year in the book of Genesis, like I said. And what I want to emphasize is that these were not fictitious characters telling us a nice story. Because as we looked through the book of Genesis, we said that is raw. They're wrestling with faith here. But but they're trusting in God. These were not perfect people that we put up on a pedestal, but they needed God in every way and they needed his grace. These were actual people who lived within human history. And now the author of Hebrews is pointing us back to these people and saying, look at their lives. Look at their lives. And so what do we see? Well, we see faith, real faith. And so there's different parts to this. The first one is this, that real faith involves action. Involves action, right? It's, it's not just something that is this, you know, theoretical exercise within our minds, but it's something that we take action upon. It says, Abel offered, Noah built, Abraham went out. There's a decision that I'm going to trust God. Secondly, real faith is a response to the living God, right? And, and I want to emphasize the living God. He, again, he, he speaks, he's alive, he speaks through his word. It says Noah was warned, Abraham was called out. What is, what is being called out? It means that there's a relationship involved. Right, where, where God actually does speak. And so God is living and it's a response to him. Thirdly, we see that real faith glorifies God. It says, Enoch pleased God. He pleased God. Real faith, fourthly, didn't promise ideal circumstances. Right? There are some today that would preach and say, well, it's just going to be great. Everything's going to be awesome if you just follow God. Well, what happened with Abel is that Abel was murdered. He was murdered. But it says that through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. How does he speak? It spoke through his following God, trusting God, so much so that it even cost him his life. But truly, he speaks of what faith looks like. George Guthrie says faith involved being tortured, mocked, beaten, destitute, stoned, put in prison, generally mistreated. These do not fit easily into the see all the wonderful things God wants to do with your life gospel of modern Western Christianity. 
This is the hard things of, of following God and trusting him in faith. Next, it says that faith, real faith in this verse, truly believes God exists. Now, you're, you think to yourself like, duh, like, yeah, of course, of course. You've got to believe that he exists. But, but here's the thing. Verse 6 says, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Now, why does it say this? Well, I remember um, listening to a preacher one time, and he talked about something that he said he was struggling with. And he says, here's what it is. You know, on the outside, I'm a pastor. I do all of these, you know, God things. But he says, I have to confess in my heart that in many ways I can become a practical atheist. A practical atheist. He said, here's what a practical atheist is. Somebody who, when it comes down to it, if I can do it on my own strength and my own ability, then I just do that. And, and I don't really think about God. I don't really pray. I don't really trust God with my life. I, I just kind of make decisions based on what I think is the most practical thing because what's most practical to me doesn't include God. And so he's making this confession. And what this is telling us in verse 6 is that you and I can talk about faith things can, can, can be very religious on the outside and say we know God, but then when we live our lives, act in a way where we don't truly trust that he exists. Have you ever heard that before? Where, where it's like, okay, yeah, 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 I know God says this, but yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm going to do the more practical thing. Practical atheism. Yeah, I believe in God, but... It's not the most practical thing to follow him right now. See, we can just skip over this verse and, and, and we live in a way where we act like he doesn't exist. Yet with our mouths we say, yeah, he, he, he's there. I believe him, I trust him. Lastly, faith is rewarded by God. Verse 6, he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. See, do you remember the problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day? They, they knew everything about God. If you were to look at people of faith, you would say, these are the ones that we would look to as faithful people who love God. Do you remember what it says about them? John 12, 43 says this, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Where'd they get their reward from? What was the most rewarding thing for their life? It wasn't that God would be pleased with them, but it was that everyone else around them would be pleased with them. I just do it for the glory of man, not God. See, the writer is giving us an encouragement that we're not alone. And we're not the first ones to go out and, and step in faith in whatever God is calling us to do. Trusting him, believing in him, but we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before. And, and, we, and here's the thing. As we look at people who their lives were so distant from ours, we have to understand that they were people just like you and me. Right At the end of James, it talks about Elijah. He's just a normal person. Like that's hard for me to believe. But it's true. Just a normal person like you and me. No superhero powers or anything like that. 
He had struggles too. But we stand on the faith of, of those who've gone before us and we trust that God was faithful to them then and he is able to be faithful to us now. And so lastly, it's, it's thirdly, it's, the, it's trust the builder. Trust the builder. Look at verses 9 through 12. By faith, he went to live in the land, talking about Abraham of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heavens, of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. That's that's a lot. And so how did faith play out in Abraham's life? Because that's what we're looking at in this last passage. Well, first it's this. Look at verse 9. It says, living in tents. Living in tents. Now, this should be a little strange to us, and here's why. Because Abraham was very wealthy. He was very wealthy. And so we see that, that he lived in tents. Why did he live like this? Well, it says in verse 10, it tells us the answer. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. As he lived and made decisions, he says, my wealth, my life, here is temporary. I believe that God is building something that lasts much longer. And look at what God did. See, this was a life built on trusting God as the builder. Right? Making decisions... In faith, trusting that God is the one who builds your life. That God is the builder. And we must understand what it came from. Look at verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. It was this, that apart from God, the great Abraham considered himself good as dead. Right, if you, if you were to put your faith up against anyone, you say, okay, I'm going to put my faith up against Abraham. Right, Father Abraham, but put my faith up against him. Who's going to be able to stand? Right, like who's going to be like, okay, yeah, my faith is greater than Abraham's. But Abraham himself considered himself as good as dead. As good as dead. Do you want to know where the starting place is for the gospel? It's understanding this. That apart from God... I'm dead. I don't have what it takes. I can't build my life. I can't do anything apart from him. 
that my faith in, in all the things that I can do in my own strength can never stack up, can never be good enough. You want to know what the whole message of the gospel is? It's this. It's like Babel, right? You think of Babel, Genesis 11. You think back to that. These people trying to build their way up to God. We're going to make this great city and we're going to build it on our own strength all the way up to God because we are God's. Didn't work. What's God's message? You're not God. You're not God. You need God. You can't build, you can't do anything apart from me. It's then and only then when I understand that apart from God, I'm as good as dead, that God comes into my life. And I say, God, I need you. And he starts to build. He starts to build. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity gives this beautiful picture. He says this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing, right? Like, we like to understand that stuff, don't we? Like, okay, yeah, I get that. That's practical to me. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these, those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, love that word, and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out, one, uh, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come in and live in it himself. Have you ever been confused and just saying, God, it's, it's really hard for me to trust you right now. I don't know what you're doing in my life. But as we look at the life of Abraham, he's saying, hey, hey, the hammer isn't in my hand. It's in God's hand. And when God's the builder, it's much better than anything that I could do on my own. So quickly, some takeaways, some, some things to really process this. The first one is this. What is your faith built upon? What's your faith built upon? Is it a, a reliance upon God or upon myself? Is it me with the hammer in my hand saying, look at what I can do to build up my life, to build up my resume? Or is it look at what God can do? And what he can build in a life of a person like me. See, it's scary sometimes to hand things over and say, God, I'm not the builder. And so I got to just trust you with this one. It's really hard. But I think Martin Luther says it well when he says this. I have held many things in my hands. And I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. What are we willing to say? No longer is it in my hands that I'm going to build it on my own, but God, I'm going to trust you and put this in your hands. Next question, are you intentionally living a life pleasing to God? Are you intentionally living a life pleasing to God? I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Right? I've been thinking about that, that idea of like, what does it look like to please God? 
was talking with a friend this week. We were just going through the book of Colossians, and he just got to this point where it said, you know, the, the, to please God. And so what, what, is that, what does that look like in my life? What it's going to cause sometimes is discomfort. What, it, what it's going to cause sometimes is I'm going to be misunderstood. What it's going to cause sometimes is going to have to make scary decisions, not based on me, but based on what God desires. See, what is it that stands in the way of that many times in our lives? Others, people pleasing? Are these people going to be okay with this? And then what happens is I'm going to put my trust and my faith in these people rather than what God says? Myself? My own comfort? God, I just don't want to hand this over. I just don't want to give this up. And so this is about me. As we dig a little bit deeper, it's not about pleasing you, God. It's about pleasing myself. Right? Are we intentionally living a life pleasing to God? I think if we just took that away and just said, okay, I'm just going to ask that question. I'm going to pray about that. That could be just a huge change and shift in our lives. Huge change, huge shift. Next question, have you fallen into the trap of of practical atheism? Have you fallen into the trap of practical atheism? To the point where you say, yeah, I, I, I know God is there, but really he can't come through. So I got to figure it out and I got to make a way on my ability, on my strength to get this done. Because God doesn't understand my problems and God doesn't understand what I'm going through. You ever felt like that? God just doesn't understand, so I got to make this happen. That's what it sounds like to be a practical atheist. R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, says this. He says, what is deadly to the church is when the external forms of religion are maintained while their substance is discarded. This we call practical atheism. Practical atheism appears when we live as if there were no God. The externals continue, but man becomes the central thrust of a devotion as the attention of religious concern shifts away from man's devotion to God to man's devotion to man, bypassing God. The ethic of Christ continues in a superficial way. The ethic of Christ. Do you get that? Yeah, I go to church. I pray. I read the Bible. I do all those things. The ethic of Christ continues in a superficial way, having been ripped from its supernatural, transcendent, and divine foundation. Let's think about this for a minute. If God can create the universe, can he handle my problems? Right? Can he handle whatever is going on in my life? There are times where I just have to go myself over to Sunset Cliffs and just sit on one of the cliffs there and just watch the ocean. Because because for me, there are times where, where, where I felt like there were problems and things going on in my life that were just too big for God. And so I had to get a visual of, okay, he just created, he created the universe. Like, you think about the rhythms of the ocean, the timing of everything, that the way in which our, our world is placed perfectly for us to even exist. And I just got to sit there sometimes and say, you know what? You are big enough to create this. 
how in the world did I think that you weren't big enough to, to, to really deal with the things that I'm going through right now? And that you would care about me. That you would actually care about what I'm going through. Incredible. And so my last question is, will you trust Jesus to build your life? Hebrews eleven thirteen says, these all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles to or on the earth. You know what it says in, in, in the book of Galatians? It says that, that, um, that, that, that God preached the gospel to Abraham. Like what was it that like helped him to step in faith? It's like God told him good news that was before, that, that, that was like, okay, I got you. I got you. I know all your mess ups. I know your deficiencies. But will you just trust me? Step out. Believe. From this passage, we see they didn't see immediate fruit from what God was doing. Right? They didn't know all the different corners of the house that God was creating. They weren't in on the planning phase. They acknowledged that his world, this world was not their, their ultimate homes. Right again, Abraham living in tents saying, okay, God's doing something much bigger than what I can see and I trust him. You see again, God was building something much bigger in their lives than what they could see in that moment. And so we got to ask ourselves, well, why did they rely on God in the midst of difficulties, trials, all of these things? It's all pointing us because you see what it says? It says, they greeted, having seen, they greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. Like, what was it that they were greeting from afar? Well, the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk about this later, but the, the book of Hebrews all points us, because, you know, it's, the original text was, it's just a letter. It wasn't broken up like this, like chapter 11, right? Like chapter 12 now. It, it was just like a full-on letter. But, but, but it all is pointing us, like, in this certain direction. We're, I'm just going to keep beating this drum again and again, because Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, here's what it says. Therefore, therefore, what, what's the therefore, therefore? We look at all that's just happened before. Look at all this, what happened for Abraham, all these people of faith. What was it? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder, he's, he's the one who started it. He's the foundation of it. He's the perfecter of it in my mess-ups, in my sin. He's the perfecter of it who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen, right? That's it. What this is isn't saying, hey, just muster up enough faith to step and trust God. Just try a little harder and believe a little bit more. No, 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 no. It's you need to fix your eyes on something. You need to fix your gaze on something that's much greater than yourself, and it is Jesus Christ. And that it says that he, he didn't despise the shame. 
He didn't say, oh, yeah, those people, those little people down there who don't have enough faith to believe in me. Oh, man, poor them. I'm just going to go down there and die for them because they don't really get it. He did it with joy. When I was running in my foolishness and all my shameful behavior and all my life of sin, he said, you know what? I'm going down there with joy because I love them. I love you. And you don't even know. You don't even understand the dream. Of like what I want to build. It's so much bigger than what you can see. It's so much bigger. And so will you hand over the the, the little hammer in your hand right now that you're trying to just hammer away and build your life? Will you put it in my hand? And will you trust me that I'm the builder? That I'm the builder. And I want to build something in your life that's much greater. It's not going to be easy. But it's going to take faith. It's going to be reliance, trusting on me. But it's worth it. It's so worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you endured the cross. You endured the shame. You endured it all. Because of what you've done, you've done, Jesus, we get to celebrate. And we should feel like this overwhelming unworthiness and joy because we, we weren't worthy. We, we didn't do what we should have done. We didn't live that life of faith, but you did. And so we just hold on for dear life on Jesus and what he's done. And we just thank you for lifting us up in all of our shame and embarrassment and mess ups and, and sin, God. It's you who lifts us up. And so we hold tightly to you, Jesus. We thank you today for what you've done. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.